Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the homo sapien. Welcome to Level Up Human! Hello, 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 and welcome to Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast panel show that is souping up the homo sapien. We're here to try and redesign the species with our illustrious panel and comedian guests to try and figure out exactly how we could improve mankind, humankind, all future kind, you name it. Uh, Sitting to my left, we have our pet human, our guinea pig. It's Rachel Wheelie. Hello. On my right, we are joined by the illustrious marine biologist, writer, and documentary maker. It's Helen Scales. Hello. Before the show started, Helen was saying, so where can I do a cheeky plug? This is that point. What oh, books yeah, have you I, have, I have several books, <laughs> if you would like to read them. <laughs> Mostly about things that live in the sea. Uh, most recently, a book about octopuses. Um, it was a ladybird expert book, which are those little books you had when you were a kid. Um, that were mostly, I had like fairy tales, the ladybird books, right? You know the, you know the ones I mean? And those sort of like that little format with the pictures on each page. So mine is a, a serious book um, with serious science, but has very nice pictures as well, which are all done for the book. So has there nice. ever been a ladybird book of ladybirds? I was thinking that would be a really good one to do, because it is a bit odd when I say a ladybird book about octopuses. is isn't quite yeah. right, but uh, yeah. It might be ever so slightly too meta. Um, I've got any documentaries coming up as well, because I know you do quite a lot of stuff in Radio 4. I, Where can we hear your voice? I've, I've recently, it wasn't a documentary, but I was recently uh, on a pilot for a new comedy science radio show on Radio 4. It won't be good as this one. It's definitely, oh, this is way better. Oh, you say all the right uh, And that's going to be, um, so I'm not sure I'm allowed to say anything about it, actually, more than that, which is very exciting. We I didn't won't sign tell anything anyone. saying I couldn't, but... Um, uh, it's going to be a new science, uh, nature kind of themed comedy. You don't have to dig around your embargo if uh, that's what it's going to be. I, 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 don't, I didn't actually say anything. Anyway, but it'll be out at Christmas sometime. So, okay, so listen afterwards. out for that. It'll be, <laughs> okay. it'll be good. We won't embarrass you any further. Right, we're also joined by Robert Hinges. Hello. Robert is a professor of developmental neurobiology at King's College London, and a lot of your work has been focused on the vertebrate visual system. So can you tell us what's so good about the vertebrate one? Why is that the one that you've chosen to dedicate your life to? Well, so we are looking at generally how the brain develops and how connections are made uh, during development, and the visual system gives us a really good uh, way to look at that, because we can stimulate we can uh, it's a sense obviously so we can actually uh, look what happens if we show different types of pictures and what the brain is actually doing with it and so your only interest in the eyes is a way to the brain that's really it actually we are now concentrating more and more to the retina itself so the eye uh, only because in the eye there's a lot of stuff going on already um, that is uh, filtering out some of the information that we are seeing and that's actually already done before it reaches the brain so mm. and we're looking at these circuits and, and trying to figure out how that's actually done. Does this mean eyes are perhaps smarter than we thought previously? 
It, it is definitely more than just a camera, right? So, so it's definitely like a part of the brain. And uh, one of the things we always think like, is that the, the light comes in and you know, our photoreceptors are kind of capturing that and then it goes to the brain. But it's actually going through the entire eye and then comes back forward and then goes back into the eye. So it's, it's quite a, so cool. a complicated thing. Well, we've met our panel here. They've each brought along a bit of a news story of what's happening in science right now. Before we get speculative and dive into the deep future and try and imagine what it would look like, we're going to get these people to tell us about a news story they've brought along. Can we start with you, Helen? What is the news story uh, you have? So my news story, I imagine a lot of you might have already heard about it because it was quite big in the news, but I felt we had to talk about it because it was so um, amazing and, and relevant for levelling up humans, which was um, the story of a tetraplegic man who now has this exoskeleton, robotic exoskeleton, in which he can now walk in. So it was a, it's a bunch of researchers in France, and um, it's a French guy just known by his first name, Thibaut. Um, and about four years ago, he apparently fell off a balcony. There's lots of balconies around here, please be careful. Um, he fell off a balcony in a nightclub and, uh, and severed his spine and since then wasn't able to move anything beyond his shoulders. Um, he's been part of this incredible study um, where a, a big team of researchers, and it's been two years in the making, this hasn't just happened, he's been, tr he's been training to use this thing mm. uh, for the last two years, and they just announced um, that he can basically use his mind and his, their, his thoughts to control this um, exoskeleton robot thing that allows him to walk. It's extraordinary. Have you seen the footage? It's really... That is incredible. We'll have to tweet uh, some video of it yeah. or something. I mean, it does look like sort of like it's a robot sort of... Um, it, it's moving in an oddly sort of robotic way, which I guess is fair enough. This is an extraordinary thing to be able to do. Yeah. Um, his body is sort of encased in this... Uh, it's got a big kind of backpack on the back of it, which clearly is a lot of the workings. Um, and then his legs and his arms are strapped into this into this exoskeleton. And what kind of mobility has he got now? So, um, so he apparently. So the way it works is he's got um, he he can he can walk apparently in eight direct. He's got eight eight uh, different movements that he can do. And I think he basically sort of thinks start and stop with the walking. Okay, but this involves um, so using the mind in some shape or form. It does, been, yeah, So they have to train for it. Yeah, so yeah. probably we need to, you know, they need to see what the muscle or, or so in, in the, uh, do and then therefore then try to uh, uh, move the, the So it's all coming from his brain. All from the yeah, brain. Yeah, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So what they did, although this, I was reading the kind of press releases on this and they said, well, other studies generally put electrodes into brains to do this sort of thing, to pick up, essentially, the brain is still saying walk. It still has those signals, but it just isn't going down the spine because the spine is severed. Uh, but mostly they use electrodes. They stick wires into people's brains. But that's a bit invasive and can involve infections. So we did something else. We just cut big holes in the top of his head and put, like, literally kind of, like, <laughs> two and a half centimeter discs on either side of his skull, removed the, the skull, and then put a an electrode on the surface of his brain. So it isn't going in, thank goodness. At least it hasn't got an electrode in his brain. Wow. But he has this pad sitting on the surface of the sort of outer part of his brain. So literally just chopped two big holes. Um, these electrodes on the, on, the, on the top of his brain. And then, um, and this has an array of sensors which are picking up uh, the electronic signals, you know, the nerve signals that his brain is firing off. And they apparently started off by putting him in a, um, a scanner, like a CT scanner, I guess, and getting him to... Um, with this electrode on and getting him to think about walking and moving his yeah. arms and different things so they could work out the patterns of uh, signals in, in that electrode which are then so it's more they're teaching the machine how to read him rather than the right. other way around. Yeah, yeah. I do so, love the yeah. idea of cutting holes in somebody's head and it goes to show that invasive is always relative mm, in medicine. Yeah. Actually. So, um, yeah, oh. and, it, and it took a long time to do the training. At first off he used a computer so at first off it was more like sort of kind of slightly boring computer game where it was just the avatar on the screen and, but he was moving it with his mind Ooh. which is pretty crazy what about you Robert what's the new story you've brought along well so it's not all about like exoskeleton but it's also like to help people after like an injury or something like that and I read a story just the beginning of this month about uh, prosthetics where they usually for an amputation uh, usually they're you know, there's no connection between the artificial leg, for example, and the body. And what they did, so this was a research group um, uh, in Switzerland, they, they actually used some sensors that they put at the sole of the artificial leg, and then they connected that directly to the nerves of 
uh, the leg because if you have an amputation here, for example, your nerves are still, you know, moving to the spinal cord and, and, and up to the brain. So what this person then can do is actually feel the, the, the floor much better. So there is some sensory feedback on that. And what they showed is that this helps really to walk uh, so they don't stumble maybe. They can walk better over like, uh, like stairs or balance. And, and so this is something uh, completely new. Do we, so, do we know, is it conscious, this feedback that you're talking about? Like, is the person aware of this extra sensation, or is it just sort of sub, subliminal is the wrong word? Like, no. Is it something that their body yeah, so, is unconscious of? So it's something, it's very interesting, actually, that a lot of times when you have, like, a, a, you know, a severed limb or something like that, there is something like a, a phantom... Uh, pain or something like that, a phantom sensation, and what they found is that by having this new sensation in, they actually don't, they accept this much more as a, so the patients accept this much more as an own, um, an, an own part of their body. And so that kind of uh, gets rid of phantom pain and, and all these type of things, so it's... Well, that's a win in its own right. Incredible. And finally, Rachel, you've brought along a new story uh, as well. Finally, my big news is that thumbs are getting faster. Thumbs are getting thumbs, faster. Thumbs are getting faster, faster is I big could news. imagine. So uh, some research done in Finland has shown that young people who've grown up using smartphones can now out-type their older relatives on a normal-sized keyboard. We are talking on. 40 words a minute. I mean, we've all seen a teenager on a smartphone, right? That's not that surprising. Um, people in their 40s can only type on their phones at 29 words a minute. People in their 50s, only 26 words a minute. I mean, I, mean, I think I'm... there's a control missing here, right? Like, they're also in their 50s, so, you know. Yeah. No I, offense, I, I can definitely 50s, relate to that because if, whenever I send something to someone else, uh, it's like two second delay, and then I get a whole text, and yeah. my, my stuff is usually yes. Yes. I mean, they didn't say whether all of these words were in emojis or not. So <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what the quality of it was. I mean, does it mean I've got no hope? I was rather hoping. I'm still quite bad. But I thought in time, if I do it enough on my phone, I'll get better. I'm sure does it you mean I'm like just going to get worse as I get older? Probably. So you're going to have to train really hard just to stay level. Do we know anything about accuracy, though? Because I'm just sort of thinking that Trump is in his 60s. Is that right? And is a highly prolific toilet that. tweeter. Is he in his 70s? He's Imagine. really old. Is he? Okay, so he's yeah. a person who's using his thumbs to misspell things an awful lot. So do we know anything about the accuracy? Mm. The accuracy of the political sentiment behind the tweet. <laughs> I mean, who knows? All, all, all who knows? I, d I don't know. I mean, I think maybe phones should just be removed from everybody at a certain point. Yeah. Like when you become president of the United States of America, maybe. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know about the accuracy of this. Um, presumably, it wouldn't count as 40 words a minute if it was all garbage. Uh, yeah. But it was probably all massively abbreviated. Yeah, okay. I don't know. So, ladies and gents, that's what's happening right now. That is all genuine news. Yes, even the one about the thumbs. So... Now we're going to get speculative. We're going to dive into the future. Our panel have brought along ideas, pitches for what they would like to see in the next stage of human evolution. So before we dive into the far future and our panel will give us their ideas, uh, Rachel, can you tell us how has your body been letting you down lately? Yes, I, I can actually. Well, my appendix exploded in uh, 2013. Anyone else got an exploded appendix? Anyone else's Whoa. appendix explode on them one morning? No? Okay. Mine exploded in 2013, and I was obviously miffed about this, as you would be. But once I recovered from the near-death experience of the septicemia and everything else, um, I wasn't that bothered about it, because I'd always been told that the appendix was a vestigial, useless bit of dangly stuff that you can just ignore safely, along with wisdom teeth and tailbones and other things that we don't use anymore. However... Um, I've just discovered that they are actually really, really important. The appendix is really important. Yeah, the appendix turns out is really important. Um, it's basically like an internal tiny bottle of Yakult, right? It's like, it's like it looks after all your good bacteria in your gut, basically. And if your gut has an inflammation or a problem, all the good bacteria go and hide in the appendix until it's safe to come out. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the scientific paper a bit. 
but they go and hide in your appendix until it's safe to come out, and then they repopulate your, uh, your, your gut, basically. So I'm now really miffed to find that this super important thing that I don't have... Um, Can be replaced by yogurt. Well, I'm just going to have to drink a lot of Yakult, basically. That's what I've decided. They, they do think it's an important thing, because they think it's actually evolved, I think it's six times. Oh, kept I know losing. this. Do it's you? evolved, because this was... So the, the research was done in Midwestern University, and they looked at loads of mammalian lineages. <laughs> to uh, just look at the scientists, like, mammalian lineages, is that a thing? That's a thing. Um to see how many times the appendix has evolved, and it's evolved independently 29 times. 29? Oh, and well. Only and, and once your, once your um, lineage gets one, they very rarely disappear again. So it's only disappeared 12 times. Wow. So basically what we're saying is they keep evolving, and then they stick around. So they're obviously important. And now I'm really super miffed that I just have to drink Yakult every day. So the reason so, that Mitchell shared that with you with you two is because now you see this is the person who's going to be judging this is who you're pitching to she's the one who will decide whether or not all the humans before they leave our podcast recording are going to have a new organ slammed into them somewhere I'm not saying you have to pitch appendix based things I'm just saying this is the specimen you're dealing with it's miffed it needs hope for the future so let's start with you Robert can you please tell us what is your pitch for improving human 2.0 Yes, so I thought obviously something about vision uh, because that's where my research is. And actually I thought, um, you know, our vision is quite slow in that sense. So when we see things that are very fast, uh, we can't really recognize them so well. So we're, we're not as good in uh, observing very fast movements. Um, we're better than a turtle, but uh, not as good as... Uh, not as good as a fly, for what, example. Why are you picking on a turtle? What is wrong with a turtle? No, just because they have a different type of, like, how many frames per, you know, second they, they process. And, and so, for so them, turtles it's... turtles see quite slowly, and yeah. flies, obviously... Absolutely. Don't and flies have eyes that are connected directly to their wings? To mus... Well... Uh, muscles so that control their wings, so that they don't even... Think. I mean, yeah. There's part of it's a reflex. I see I'm where you're going with this. I'm anthropomorphizing here, yeah. but so they don't. They just basically the newspaper comes down and they've gone. Yeah. So I would like to pitch something where we can change our visual perception onto a much faster rate. Yes. So talking about the flies, that we can actually swat that fly because uh, usually we're much too slow. So actually, what what does that involve? Like practically, why is our frame rate um, the way it is? And does this mean that we're going to have to redesign all our TVs? Yeah, all the films are going to be uh, yes. broken. That is a problem. Mm. So we would have to go to very high, you know, hertz rate in terms of like uh, of the of the TVs. So how do we do it? What what is it that limits the frame rate to be the way it is right now? Do we know? Um, it's process. I mean, it's the processing of of uh, all the different information, right? So it's uh, yeah. So it's the brain rather than the eye. There's not yeah. like anything fatiguing in the eye or something. As well. So there is also some turnover of, of what, we are, what we are seeing. We had a question so from the audience. Actually, should we get the question from the audience? Yes, please. Let's do that. That's very exciting. Hello, what was your question? Do you, do you mind contributing your question? observation that uh, insects have compound eyes and flies particularly their eyes are located on the side of their heads so they have all round perimeter which is why your blue bottle flies off as you're approaching with the newspaper so but, the compound but an insect eye. like a bee is much more likely to just go and sit there and wait for takeoff so they're much easier to swat That's but it's the flicker frequency isn't it that yes. they can see things yes moving exactly. so much more quickly whereas if we see things more than 30 frames a minute mm -hmm. you just would see it as a blur right okay so exactly. I, I have to dig down deeper in this because i'm not too sure i fully understand so it's are you saying that that bees are lackadaisical or that is it like there's this frame rate thing is not consistent across even insects it's not consistent along uh, across uh, insects so there are insects that have much much higher like several hundred uh, uh, you know, frames per, per second, for example. So there, there are some that can actually catch another flying insect, uh, you know, and they, they are seeing these things much, much slower. Um, but we have, I think, about 60 
uh, that's that's about in, in human, but there are others. There are several hundreds. Um, so wow. what is this going to allow me to do? So you would get that fly. That's for sure. I'd so swat all the flies. Yes, that's, you yeah, would be much good. faster. I guess one one would have to actually upgrade it to a like a, you know that you can turn it on or off because the problem I see the problem with the you know. The, the TV or the lights actually that are in a certain frequency we would have you know we would have flickering lights uh, at one point yes. but wouldn't it be cool to see certain things like very slow motion so there's like these slow-mo guys that sometimes show things that are happening very very slow and you can actually see what's actually happening so, so this is my question like how, how will it feel like what will we perceive like, or can we imagine that like is it like yeah, like watching a nature documentary where you get those speeded up, like plants growing, and suddenly we can see it in normal speed. Like, how will it feel to have this super fast vision? Yeah, difficult to say. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think we would see things slower. So just that you are, you know, if something happens very fast, you're you're basically able to see see it moving by you uh, in a, in a slower rate. And so that that enables you then to react to certain so, things. You know, certain people like have these abilities to, I don't know, hit the ball or so, you know, tennis Wasn't players. Wasn't it Obama and so. who got like, the fly out of the air and just went that's during right. an interview? That's right, yeah. But he did it like kind of like because he was oh, hiding he above and then he was like just tapping it down. That's pretty cool. Okay, we know there's ways and means for flies, but actually there we might have hit upon, when you're talking about the fast reactions, mm. I'm aware of things like, say, cricket and baseball, yeah. where the ball is traveling faster than the batter can see. So they're doing right. some kind of incredible calculations in the brain would having a faster frame rate rise be basically they were all going to be awesome at baseball or cricket or something it would definitely be more difficult for the the pitcher yeah <laughs> because i think i think what you would have is like this this ability to actually yeah react to certain you know when they when they throw a ball that comes around the court do anything know anything about actually how how we're doing that already then. Because I say, what you're doing there is effectively giving that skill to all of us rather than an elite few who've practiced. What, what is it that people have practiced to make themselves be able to see balls they can't see? I think there are two things. One is like that you're practicing, that you react to what you see in terms of the body and everything, and also in tennis, for example. So you see, you look at the how it's hit and, and, and that you react to it. The other thing is I, I really believe that certain people have a better... Uh, uh, view or visualization and they see the ball and when you talk to a certain sports people that are very at the top level they see they say that they see the ball slower they can tell where the ball is going to be and everything happens a bit slower and wow. that's why they're very very good at, at it and, and I think that's that's kind of like well, hold on hold on hold on we have to get a micro microphone to you eye coordination surely that's it isn't it if you're throwing a ball, it's, it's the way you do it and how you do it. And right. the response so it's the coordination with the eye and the hand. Yes. Actually, yeah. that raises a question in that case. So actually, is the eye the limiting factor in our reactions? Or are we speeding ourselves up so that we can see ourselves miss the ball? <laughs> do you see what I mean? Like, actually, is, is the eye not the problem? For I'm sure it'll be very useful for perceiving some things and maybe catching the fly. Or just seeing the fly fly off. I can't. I don't know. You don't know. That is fine. We're interrogating the ideas here. He that says means why. we've reached the end of this. Uh, do we have one more question about it? Will you be able to read more quickly? Oh, could we speed read? Now that is a very good point. If the book is moving fast enough. Probably. Yeah. Depends how fast you go through the book, right? If you're like <laughs> doing <laughs> it like that. Flick the book and then flip, you can immediately yeah, read it. I like the idea of being able to... My toddler falls at the top of a flight of stairs and I see him moving slowly because my eyes are so brilliant and I can then move more accurately to catch him. Uh, it's you on the short list. I love it. Him, telling him off sooner as well. That's what it would be. Yeah, well, quite, yeah. Yeah. Stop his brother making a tripwire sooner. Actually, um, before we do leave that, so you say that, first of all, this is on the short list. It's on the short list. I love it. I've, yeah. got a, I've got a sort of secondary inquiry, just because I'm aware the eyes have got, say, the fastest moving muscles in, um, in the body. So can you tell us, to suppose, wh why are eyes so fast? 
We constantly move our eyes, right? So, so to actually see something, you constantly move the eyes a little bit uh, in in space, so that you're you know exactly when you're like looking at something which is steady. After a while, it kind of gets gets fuzzy as well. So, so we're we we have to move our eyes because we have to kind of regenerate all the pigment uh, that we have. And, and so, yeah. is is that locked in any way to our frame perception rate as well? Or is there something in our brain happening which means that we don't notice these movements? Uh, why, um, why have we got such fast movements and we're completely unaware of it, yeah. I suppose? I'm, I'm not sure if it's locked. I, I'm not sure. Cool. See, there we go. That's real science. We don't know <laughs> so much, and we admit it. But this is on the short list. Well done. Can we give it up for Robert, please? <laughs> Helen, can you help us catch flies? You're up. What is your pitch? So I had a bit of trouble with this, actually. I have to confess that when, when you asked me to do this, and I came up with this. I wanted something related to the oceans. Um, being a marine biologist, I wanted to show off about how awesome sea creatures are. Yes. But the problem is this is your second series, and you've done all the ones I wanted to do. Well, yeah, <laughs> so. a few, but I think you're a still... <laughs> so I kind of I was like, how about this? And that? I, like, a few of them were on this list. I was like, yeah, photosynthesizing skin. I wanted to be like coral. Uh, shark teeth sounds great. Anyway, but I found one you haven't done, and I really like this one anyway, so it's good. Um, so I... Um, I'm going for basically the ability to uh, to hold our breath. Um, let's go for an hour. Hold your breath for an hour, please, like a sperm whale can. Like a and that sperm would let whale. us. Uh, and and uh, uh, in the process, we become extreme free divers. Yeah, that would be cool. And then where would we go on our extreme free Anywhere diving? You want. An That's hour. That's the whole point. Do you we, do we get want. into trouble with depth? Before we run out of air. So, uh, can I have a kind of combined thing of we can also deal with pressure underwater? That would be kind of nice, please. Like like a sperm whale, basically. That would be cool. So, so we, what, become... so we have, um, it wouldn't matter that our lungs collapse. So, so sperm whales have collapsible lungs. That's sort of that's fine. That is supposed to happen in a sense. Um, so actually, so... I suppose maybe we can try and drill down into this because because you're mm. not you're developing the kit that you need in order for yeah. us to hold our breath. Yeah. What is a sperm whale doing right? So it can so, collapse its yeah. lungs, but what else? So the, the lungs collapse because basically they actually most of the oxygen that they uh, that they store in their bodies. So sperm whales, um, they're not the deepest recorded marine mammal, but nearly. And I reckon they probably like not they've not all been recorded. Haven't all had sensors on them. I reckon some will probably go deeper. They but they basically go to at least two thousand meters. And there's a Cuvier's beak whale that's gone to like two thousand one hundred and something. So just a, a bit more. Um, but they they hunt like regularly at like at least a thousand meters down and they spend 80% of their time in the deep sea. So they, they kind of come up to the surface just briefly for eight minutes and then they go back down again for like an hour at a time. And they do this, yeah, so um, most of their oxygen is stored in their muscles, not in hemoglobin in their blood like we do, uh, us humans, but in their muscles with another molecule called myoglobin. So we basically need to supercharge our muscles with myoglobin, which holds onto oxygen. And they have 10 times as much myoglobin. Most marine mammals do, actually, so it's not just sperm whales. Most marine mammals have about 10 times as much myoglobin in their muscles than we do. Uh, and so they have this huge extra store of oxygen. Now, not to get into the sort of dreaded and the theory of the aquatic ape, which has oh, been no. largely laughed at, <laughs> but you're trying to make us into an aquatic ape effectively with uh, this. Yeah, why not? I mean, I also think there's probably some... Obviously, I think it would be super awesome to be able to basically access huge parts of the underwater world just by holding our breath. But I reckon there's also some good things too, like medical benefits of being able to not suffocate our brains within four minutes of having our lungs stop working, for example. Ah, no, you see, no, that's yeah. really selling it to not us. Not to mention the fact that if you've got myoglobin in your muscles, presumably you oxygenate your muscles mm -hmm. through that, so we could run faster. Maybe. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, could you take a couple of deep breaths and then do the marathon? It's much easier. Maybe, yeah. I reckon the recovery time would be much easier too. But so. If it was really only going to be about free diving, I have to point out, I've been into the North Sea and I'm never going back. It is freezing. <laughs> you know, this is... Yeah, a, but... Yeah, but you're a sperm whale now, so you don't have <laughs> and to... And sperm whales don't like the North Sea either. They get stranded in the North Sea, so it's de definitely not... It's not very deep either. The North Sea is only about 200 meters okay, deep. Well, my, my point so. is, for a start, I live in London. My closest <laughs> bit of water that's anywhere deep is the Thames. This There's is no not point only that. for you, though. It's for the whole, whole well, of humanity. Yeah, okay, Everybody. I'm aware I'm being selfish Everybody. here. <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to, I suppose I'm trying to see, because whenever you're talking about actually how we might be able to use this, the brain, 
um, actually other advantages of holding our breath that it's not like it might even just be you're in a lift with some people who you know have had some questionable <laughs> absolutely yeah there are times when you don't want to have to inhale yes mm. so you could you could have your entire commute to work on one breath that you take outside yeah. a bagel shop outside your tube station and then you don't breathe again until you, you get go. to the coffee shop outside your yeah. office so, like, that, you would just be, that would be think very of good the lack, yeah you're not drawing in those horrible particles into your lungs can, yeah, it'd be good yeah. for avoiding pollution yeah. as getting well. Better. You could do your cycle commute on exactly. one breath. Yep. I cycle every day and I always go. think like, oh, you know, this is along the main road or so. It's it's actually, yeah. I'm doing something. And I think there's still a payoff in terms of doing something sportive versus the bad air. But that will solve it. Yeah. Can we dig a little bit more into the collapsible lungs? Because, of course, in humans, if we've a, if our lungs collapse, mm. that's very, very dangerous. Yeah. Do we know why sperm whales are able to do oh, that so well? That's the wrong question, because I didn't look at that. I don't know, actually. Presumably, because the problem with human lungs when they collapse is it's the surface, the inner surfaces of our alveoli. Kind of, they stick together, I think, don't they? And then yeah. they, do, they can't open up again. So you've lost that absorption surface. Is it a tennis court we've got in our lungs? Have we laid out all the blood vessels in our lungs or some enormous area? Um, but all oh, those collapse and then they don't open up again. So presumably, and I'm really just guessing it, but that, that the marine mammals with these collapsible lungs must have some sort of lining which doesn't stick when the when those sort of vessels collapse and, and they can open back up with, again. Maybe it has more to do with depth, surviving depth than breathing. Well, it's, it's oh, that's depth. Yeah, that's yeah. pressure. That's that's as you go down. That's so you can yes. go down. Yeah, yeah. Is it also yeah. anything that you're actually getting the most out of your lungs because you're squeezing that air that's in them? Maybe, but to be honest, because like on a, uh, so I think going back to the sperm whale, I think it's something like eighty or ninety percent of their oxygen is in their is in their muscles. So it's wow. it's really not in that that oxygen in your lungs at all. In their so lungs let's breathe with our muscles. So yeah, I mean it comes into their blood after that. My but. question is, can you can you can you just like crystallize your pitch because we've mentioned a few things. Okay. So what is your pitch exactly? I want to be able to uh, humans to be able to hold their breath for an hour at a time and. Uh, and if I'm allowed to withstand intense pressure. But if it's just one thing, we'll go for breath holding. We'll go for an hour's breath holding. Yeah, okay. I like you that. You don't see anything Can I tell you about what's, what, what oh, people uh, can uh, do? We have a very... Oh, hold on, hold on. Oh, we want to get to oh, two oh. of these points. So he's just pointed out, you don't see anything when you're down there, making a good argument for the eyes. I would love to have the one hour breath, but then, you know, everything is happening within the first 20 meters. I mean, so like you can spend an hour at 10 meters. Hooray, if I'd do really, that. If you're really I would do that. This is getting very aggressive early on. I like it. Fight, fight, fight. No, I'm, I'm in favor of it. I think it. we're this agreeing, actually. Oh, yeah, no, actually okay. yeah, we just sit at 10 meters for an hour and just you'd have no bubbles because it wouldn't be scuba. God, it'd be amazing. And you had you another point, though. Um, yeah, so what humans can already do. In fact, I'd like to get a bit of a... Anyone in the audience want to guess how long uh, is the longest uh, the record for holding breath? So this is, this is a, like a... Um, it's a category of competition, which is like lying in a swimming pool with your head down and, and holding your breath for as long as possible. It's called static apnea. Uh, and it's the most boring uh, <laughs> spectators forever. And actually, there's a video of... I've just found it this morning, actually. There's a video of the entire thing of this like record-breaking breath hold. And it's just this guy with his head in the water and another guy occasionally going, is he all right? Yeah. Because he can't tell. He's just, you know, just well, well, not, not all right anymore. But anyway, any guesses? Um, so we've got 12 minutes. We've got 12 minutes. We've got 12 yeah. minutes. Have we got 13? 13, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 40 minutes. No. <laughs> there's actually two answers. 15. 15 minutes. Okay. So there's two answers. One is it's about 12 um, doing it properly, which is you just uh, take breaths of air and then do it. You can cheat there as well, which is by breathing oxygen for the, a half an hour beforehand. Uh, so you super yeah, saturate yeah, yeah. yourself. Yeah, so you super saturate yourself. And the, guy, the video I watched is 24 minutes. It's a 24-minute video of this guy with his head in the water. Wow. <laughs> but he has, yeah, basically pumped his body. So we, wanna, we, want, we want, like, yeah, five times the normal person's yes, amount of breath. Uh, and that's not normal. 12, well, 12 minutes? Right, no, Holding okay. your breath for 12 minutes? How, how long can I hold I my breath? I can hold my breath for three <laughs> minutes. And okay. I thought that was pretty good. And I trained for that. Uh, so. Yeah, we definitely want this on the shortlist, please. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, please Lovely. give Helen a huge round of applause. <laughs> now... Look, everybody, basically, this is your chance to try and impress Rachel. We want to hear your pitches. I want you to stick your hands in the air. Uh, one of us will come to you with this microphone and tell us what your name is, what your suggestion is. Anybody want to start the bidding with the pitches? Hello, could you say your name and what your pitch is, please? 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Right, I'm Bruce. I was just thinking with global warming, we need to have a, a, a better cooling system for the human being. Perhaps we have to perspire more. I don't know how a cooling system would work. That's a very good question. More it's a very sweat. Good idea. More, More sweat. cooling, because uh, it's More true, sweat. though, because because um, air conditioning is only making climate change worse. Um, it's going to cause like some like one or two degrees increase in temperature just from powering our air conditioners. So this is a really good idea, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Ice bucket challenge. <laughs> Every day, human cooling system. It's an argument to go swimming again. The North Sea again. There's our answer. We go, go for a dip and cool down. Yeah, actually. Okay, as humans, so it is one of those sort of things where we're mammals, we cool down with sweat. We've got sweat glands. I think we're, we're a particularly sweaty species. Like things like dogs, they don't have sweat all over their body the way we do, so they have to do panting and stick their tongue out instead. So why don't we all just stick our tongue out as well, mate? Would you take that, Bruce? Shall we have panting? Hang on. Hold on. We're basically arguing that rather than doing this, we should just all work by the evaporations. Heat, heat loss due to evaporation. It's, uh, it's a, it's a well, physical activity. So um, that's how animals do it. They evaporate, and the, the latent heat evaporate, the, of evaporation actually gives them the cooling. Or Is the, everybody willing to give us a try? Is. Can we have a mass pant just to see how this works? One, two, three... I'll be honest, you we're, kind we're of you lost, we just wanted you, to make fun of you. You kind of lost confidence in that, but the second pant. <laughs> it I was it was actually beautiful. I really enjoyed that. Um, it's definitely on the shortlist. Okay. By the way, I, I always put too many things on the shortlist, so you, contributing early is a good idea because the, the further we go, the more I'm like, I must not put things on the shortlist. So, so they're going to have to be good now, guys. Hold on, hold on. What are we going to call that, though? Is that improved sweating or improved um, cooling? I've put human cooling system. With panting. Optional. With panting. Optional panting? With optional... Because they were very good at the people in the front row there. Yeah. They were pretty... They I mean, we're doing this anyway, really, aren't we? Yeah. Okay, any other ideas? I'm Catherine. Um, I would like to decrease the frequency of urination so that I don't have to go to the toilet on a plane when I'm stuck behind two people or in the middle of a concert when there's only two porta bodies. So what do we need to do this panel? Are we talking like super kidneys? Or, yeah, hold on, a, we, we've just had we a suggestion of evaporating it for cooling purposes. I am aware that the Marby stork pees onto its legs to cool itself down. Are you willing to do this? <laughs> No. <laughs> no? Okay. So Catherine's suggestion here is that we are going to have to pee less, more or less. What do we think of this panel? How can we possibly pee less? Well, I mean, there are all those desert animals that don't really urinate at all, yeah. aren't there? There's sort of various ways of not having a water-based excretion system. I'm interpreting this instead. as a massive bladder which you keep on your back like a camel. So what I you were thinking of too, right? Really. You just like a you have your, you carry your urine around with you on a in a sort of 
Nobody's going for this. <laughs> Guys, come on. Everybody wants a backpack of weed, don't they? Um, I, I, I was thinking more we don't make the weed. Like, we find a way yeah. of not having to do... Oh, I like it's that. It's at all. Like, because there are animals that don't urinate because they can't because they don't and have don't enough. Need, they don't drink. Uh, and you don't need water. to drink then that much. Yeah, right? yeah, so exactly. Like, yeah. So we, we have to make out, make like a sort of desert um, gerbil. She, or she's something. talking about she's been on a plane. So let's be honest. By this stage, she's probably hammered, right? Because <laughs> like, this is how you get through airplane travel. Simon, you're casting aspersions on our audience's drinking habits, yeah. which you just don't know. True. Um, okay, so. We want to... I, I like this idea of doing it by not drinking and therefore not needing to urinate. So how do we, how do we like, provide our... I guess our you want to do it independent of drinking then, if you're on the plane. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually just sort of thinking, some of these other ones, these animals that don't urinate very much, I think they end up... So a lot of the birds, they get rounded because birds have got a handy thing. They've got what we call a cloaca. That's their system. It's kind of like a... I think it's from the Greek word meaning sewer open sewer, and then sort of everything comes out sort of the one, the one hole for them. So effectively, whenever you've had like a, a, a pigeon poo on you, it's pooing and peeing you at, at you at once. So if we could turn it into sort of solid pee, you know, so it, like, you just like... I'm not sure how much this is helping when you're standing <laughs> behind two people on an aeroplane. But presumably it takes up less space, so it would be less frequent. That's the point, yeah. exactly. So it's effectively ah, done salt, so it's such, right. such low quantity because it's gone solid. It's got, not got the liquid content. Yes, I see, okay. And then, right, yeah, and then you only go once every three days. And yeah. you just time that to not be when you're on your way to New York. Well, it's, the sloths only climb down their trees once a week to go to the toilet, don't they? There we are. See, so, they've you know, got it all sorted. That's incredible. Right, yeah. okay. So I'm putting Did you that say down sloths as, as well. Sloths, yeah. Sloths, yeah. Not a sloth. Sloth. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't say the word enough to know whether I say sloth or sloth. I've always wondered. Sloth. Just. I think sloth, it works actually. exactly Ooh. like scone and scone. I just, I just don't say it enough. Depends which <laughs> bit of the north you're from. Sloth. Sloth. Can we give Catherine and Bruce a huge round of applause? I just realised we forgot to give Bruce one. Thank you, everybody. I think we've got time for your one, and that's it now. Unless anybody's uh, absolutely no. desperate to contribute there. We've got time for... We've got, more, we've got more than just me, actually. Have we? Yeah. We've got time for some more. Have we got any more from the I'm audience? looking over this side. If not, we go straight to my... Oh, we do. Oh, we've got two, actually. Please say your name and your pitch. Hi, my name's Tim. I think you should be able to unscrew your wrists and put other things on. <laughs> I scared a cat with a plunger the other day, so, you know, there's lots of options. Like Daleks. Which um, cat did you scare with a plunger? Was it your cat? No, it was somebody else's ill cat that's dying. Tim, that's a horrible thing you just did. Um, okay. I'll be honest, I kind of lost the path of logic that there was within that. Unscrew your wrists to do something to a cat? No, what, was that what it was was unscrew your... It was like a Wurzel Gummidge idea. Unscrew your wrists to add other things, like, for example, a plunger. The reason Tim wants to do this is so he can more easily scare dying cats, which is very sad, and I don't know why he's brought that to us today. But Before that move... aside, I quite like the idea of being able to unscrew my wrists and put something else. So, like, um, if I was going to be swimming, for example, then I could add flippers, or if I was rock climbing, I could add some, like, sucky things and go up the... the I don't here... know the technical name for that! Uh, okay, two things. First of all, the answer might be gloves. Okay? And the other thing, we have a significant portion of millennials in the audience who on earth is Wurzel Gummidge. Wurzel Gummidge, Explain right. Explain to these people. Um, if you imagine Boris Johnson after <laughs> a really, really bad night out. That. that. Wrist Lego, that's what I'm calling that. Wrist Lego. I like that. Is it um, on the shortlist? Yeah, it definitely is. That's everything on the shortlist oh, so far. Sorry. Okay. They're just too good today. We've got one final suggestion from the audience, and then we're going to get my ones. Oh, could you please tell us what your name is and what your suggestion is? Um, I'm Annabelle, and my suggestion is to be able to turn your senses kind of up and down as you please. So, like, your sense of smell, if you're in the lift, 
you could just dial it right down. Or if you don't like the taste of something, you could turn it off. Or like tactile, so like if a surgeon was doing something really like precise, they could, I don't know, feel more, or just you could alter everything. So is this effectively actually like multi-sensory anesthesia? Does that sound right? Um, I guess you could also turn things up so like you could see more precisely, but I don't know why you don't want to see less. Um, but yes, no? Yeah, that's a good, like that's a philosophical point. If you could turn everything up, would you just not live your life in saturation? Actually, would we end up turning everything up per permanently? Yeah. What do you think, panel? Uh, so I can turn up my sense of smell to inhale the beautiful fragrance of my friends or a garden or <laughs> I have very fragrant friends, I'll have you know. Um, or I can turn my hearing down. You see, the problem with this is I would turn my hearing down in, a, in ways that I am not proud of. You know, I would, I would turn my hearing down for my alarm. Imagine, it's all very well snoozing your alarm in the morning. What if you could just turn your hearing down? See, that would be bad. I, I just wouldn't take, I wouldn't be responsible for it. Robert, you know all sorts about eyes. Yeah, I think, I think what you want is just a, a change in the speed. Because actually what we're doing is already we're changing our sensitivity to a certain thing. So if you're like in a room where it smells a, a particular smell, then after a while you won't notice it that, that much anymore, right? Or if you, as I said before, if you see something and it's always the same, you kind of, or you know it with the colors that you're kind of getting insensitive to a certain color. What you want to do is basically instant, right? So you want to do it instantly. Which is cool. Hmm. So is it on the shortlist? Um, it's not made it onto the shortlist. I'm sorry, but oh. thank you so much for your suggestion. You see, this is why it's so stressful. Turning give a huge... down a... Thank you very much, Annabelle. Thank Please you. give a huge round of applause. And now I'm almost certainly going to biff Simon's idea because yeah. I always do. That's, that's so... very, very true. So every episode I like to have a section that we call Splice of Life because I've been scouring Mother Nature's garden, uh, finding proof of concept. And here we have... The monolake nematodes. And there's a whole group of them which are extremophiles. Now, that is not why I'm pitching them. They can deal with extreme saltiness. They can deal with really weird uh, ultra-low pHs, uh, sorry, ultra-high pHs, extreme ammonia. But they are super, super, super resistant to arsenic. They could survive any Agatha Christie novel that there is out there. It looks like a sort of transparent moustache or a very, very, very ill bean. Yeah, an ill bean, <laughs> I think, is a good one. But I think that would be so quite cool to be able much, to have this. How much of a problem in day-to-day -day life is arsenic? <laughs> Actually, here's, here's an interesting thing. More than we know. Uh, if you consume an awful lot of rice, there's an awful lot of arsenic in rice. So it's becoming a little bit of an issue. When you say an awful lot of rice, I'm not you mean like a skip full of rice, don't you? To have to, I mean, I've never eaten that much rice. Well, well actually, I suppose I do mean a skip full of rice, but bear in mind that that's something that an awful lot of the world is dependent on. Like, Are people dying from arsenic poisoning after eating too much rice around the world? No, but... The <laughs> <laughs> So they're not eating that much then, are they? No, but it is, it is, it is becoming a concern. I think there are people who are having arsenic uh, poisoning through rice. You think there are? I will Google that during the interval. Okay. Um, I, I mean, okay, it's, I don't see why we need super, super, super arsenic resistance, really. It's not a pressing issue. Fine. All um, right. But sorry. why is this super arsenic proof? I think it must be because there's just a lot of arsenic in the lake. It must be one of the other things that just happens to be in this environment. Why there's arsenic in the mono lake, I have no idea. I'm assuming that's the case. Or is it just some byproduct of its metabolism? It's not making it as a kind of poison itself, because that sometimes happens. Like puffer fish are immune to the poisons they make because they've evolved immunity to that molecule but they make it, so they need to not poison themselves. I don't think so in their case, because the thing of arsenic is it's, a, it's an elemental poison rather than, say, oh, something yeah, like cyanide molecule, manufactured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, again, do you know what? I'm going to have to do further research on this myself and add it in the edit. Guess what? It's not on the list, it's is it? It's not on. Sorry. All right. So right, It's exciting, though, because we've got, um, I think we've got five on the shortlist. We've got faster visual perception. That was from Robert. Helen's one-hour breath-holding. Bruce's human cooling system with optional panting. <laughs> Thanks for the optional panting, audience. Catherine's 
sloth peeing habits, which was not quite how it was pitched originally, but that's what it turned into. Um, and Tim's wrist Lego. So I've got to decide which one we're going to have forever. See, this is very tricky. What I have to do is I have to work out what all of humanity should have forever. Um, and that's why it's hard, because these are, I mean, there's some good things here. I think, I think sloth peeing habits and wrist Lego are out. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, because we've got some world-changing stuff going on here with human cooling systems and one-hour breath-holding. Um, okay. I think I'm going to go for the human cooling system. So, Bruce, thank you very much indeed for your suggestion. It's in. Oh. Hooray! How do you feel about your suggestion being picked to be incorporated into the human body forever? I'm feeling quite overheated at the moment. <laughs> That's lovely. Can we just have one more group pant? That's picked up by the microphones very well. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed, everybody. While you've been doing that, I've been looking it up. Yep, there is arsenic and rice. It is something that is a genuine concern. Um, in certain parts of the world, anyway. It's not in all rice, but it seems to be in certain areas. There's plenty of it. You're not going to let this go, are you? Nope. It's not on the shortlist, Simon, and it hasn't Fine. won. Fine. Um, but, okay, it's good to know that there is, there is arsenic and rice. That yeah. is a true fact. So we've established that. That's good. Not Excellent. necessarily lethal, but I wasn't lying. So there. Now, ladies and gents, thank you ever so much. Before we go, though, we have to give a huge round of applause to our panel. We've had Helen Scales, we've had Robert Hinges, we've had Lu Rachel Wheely, and we've had the wonderful audience here at the Barbican. Can you give everyone a huge round of applause? That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.